Do you have a question about your home? Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. We have ants in the kids' bedrooms. So I'm wondering, should we maybe spray the perimeter of the house on the outside, or is this something we tackle on the inside? Or Well, the professional exterminators, and I've worked with them for many years, will do both. They're going to spray the inside along the baseboard. They will also spray the outside of the home. Do you have a question about your home, inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour with Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can always reach him at 800-614-2975, or you can forward questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Along with Ken, I'm Jim Britton. We thank you for making us part of your weekend. Ken, we're going to start uh, this week with some of the basic elements that uh, are used by everybody. Tools. It is tool time on Ken the Contractor. We talk about this from time to time, and oddly enough, I do get these questions, and some of you say, I've got a complete tool shed. I don't need to hear about these tools. And for you, that may be great. But I want to tell you, there are many people out there buying homes every day, moving into their first even apartment, if you will, may have a duplex or a townhome, and they start out with absolutely nothing. And it really is not about age. Maybe you've moved out of a high-end apartment in a big city where you didn't need anything. You had a super that took care of everything. And now, all of a sudden, you've got to deal with some of these basics, from hanging pictures to adjusting fasteners or screws on hinges. What do you need when you go to do that? The first thing you don't need to do is rush out and call a contractor or a maintenance or repair person because almost all of us are capable of taking care of the basic items around our home. But it's hard to do if you don't have some of the, quote, basic tools. So some things that I think you have to have in your toolbox to start with are the items we want to talk about briefly today. Everybody needs to have both the flathead and a Phillips screwdriver. Sometimes a problem, a nuisance on a door that's just binding in a jam is a matter of just tightening the screws on the hinge. And it will take you three minutes or less to pull the screwdriver out, to tighten those screws, and all of a sudden that door is not binding anymore. One, it's no longer a nuisance, but it's also not breaking down or tearing up the paint and breaking down the woodwork, if you will, because it's in a bind. So I want you to think as I go through these, some of the things around your home that you can take care of with just a few key tool items to put in that small toolbox. Maybe you want to put it in a kitchen drawer. Some of these you can, but keep them handy. So flathead and Phillips screwdriver, you don't even have to have both. There are tools today, they've been around for a long time, that you can swap out the bits. You can have different size flathead, different size uh, Phillips, and you simply change those and it fits all the different fasteners that you have. So much of the furniture that we buy today is also furniture that you put together from many of the manufacturers, especially the Scandinavian-made furniture. And so you'll need those to be able to assemble those in some cases. Another thing you need, because we're all hanging pictures, we put mirrors up when we move in our homes, you need a tape measure. You need a good tape measure. You need one that you can extend to the ceiling or from wall to wall or from the floor. Sometimes we do get what we pay for. If you have no choice at all, buy at least, and not a lot of money, buy the most inexpensive you can. But if you can spend a couple of dollars instead of maybe 75 cents, Go out and buy one that uh, will retract by itself, that will keep it functioning much longer. It will make it easier for you to measure when you're laying out, again, how to hang mirrors or where to hang the mirrors, where to hang your artwork on the walls. You'll find it very beneficial. And for those of you doing some basic remodeling, thinking about replacing carpet or flooring, and you want to have some idea how large the room is, always good to have this handy. So basic tape measure, and I'm going to recommend you buy at least a 16-foot 
measure. Many of these are 25 feet, 20 feet. You can find them down as short as 6 feet. But I'm going to recommend 16 feet because it's rare that we have a room within our house that's much larger than that, which means it will accommodate any room that you're trying to measure without having to add multiple dimensions together. Now, another item is a hammer. And a hammer is not just a hammer. And if you're not doing much more than driving in a few picture hooks in the wall, uh, maybe you have you do a little bit of uh, framing yourself or you're thinking about doing some picture frame work. You do not need a carpenter's hammer that weighs 16 ounces and is big and bulky and has claws on the end of it for pulling nails. So when you go buy a hammer, think about what your needs are. If you're one of these people that says, if I'm getting into something that involved, I'm bringing a contractor or a handy person in, maintenance person to take care of these items, then at least think about having perhaps a lighter weight, six, eight ounce hammer, something that will serve a purpose for you to be able to hang pictures, put hooks in the wall for mirrors, do those type items. Or sometimes if you just need to be loosening something, it may be a device or something you have, you need a little tap of a hammer occasionally, so think about having it. But you need to have one somewhere in your household. The next item could be extremely useful will be pliers. And if you've ever bought pliers or just looked in the hardware department where pliers exist, you're saying, that's generic, isn't it? Because I'm seeing all kinds of fancy words in front of these pliers. You know, from needle nose to electrical, it goes on and on. And some of these names get fairly lengthy and sort of strange. But that's because pliers can be designed for a very unique and specific purpose. What I'm talking about is a generic set of pliers that allows you to twist wires to help open and close items, maybe to do some basic tightening on some bolts that you may have or nuts on bolts, those type items. But a pair of pliers, always very handy to have around. Now, if you want to splurge, you may also want to add a second set and consider needle-nose pliers, probably the second most useful, I think, around the house, because if you're inclined to do a little electrical work, you're going to strip some wires, maybe put a new wire in the back of a light switch if you can replace that yourself or an outlet. You can also strip the wire with most of those, and it's, it gives you an opportunity to grab some things, not just wires, but anything else you may drop somewhere that are in fairly tight or confined spaces. But at least have a basic set of pliers that you can keep in your toolbox. Crescent wrench would be another one because a crescent wrench is very functional. Rather than buying a set of wrenches, you'll find a crescent wrench is adjustable. Some people call it an adjustable wrench, and uh, it will open up to a certain uh, uh, width and close very tightly to deal with nuts and bolts of varying sizes. Not recommended if you're doing a lot of mechanical work, but certainly it's a good one to have around the house. And I guess the next one that I have on my list, it just has to be a must, and that's a level. And you don't have to go out and buy a four-foot mason level or a six-foot drywall level that costs you $200. You can go buy a basic level that's anywhere from probably 3 to $8 that start out at six to eight inches that you can keep in a drawer. Just, again, to check that mirror, to check that big screen TV that you're hanging on the wall, to be sure those brackets are level when you put it up there properly. It's real easy to use, very inexpensive, and will make things around your house look a lot more pleasing to the eye. And if you have a couple of dollars left over, maybe a little more room, I'm going to throw in here you want to look at a utility knife, perhaps a cordless electric drill. And above all, no matter what you do with any of these, you want to have proper safety devices. And that's going to include safety glasses, perhaps uh, earplugs if you're banging away with a hammer, and certainly gloves, depending on what you're working with. So always keep these things in mind and make your task around the home a little easier, certainly a lot safer, 
And save yourself some big dollars or having to call people in for some very minor items. I know the levels and all sorts of stuff. You can really spend some money and end up with a really cool uh, Oh, now if you, if you like trinkets, yeah, if you like bells and whistles, yeah. the sky is the limit. What I'm talking about are the basics that every household, condo, mobile home, it doesn't matter. You need to have these within your grasp on any given day. But you're right. You can get into lasers, flashing lights, bells and whistles, all kinds of fun toys. Yes. You can. So so be careful and make sure you, you get something that actually does what you need it to do. I've seen people before go and spend the money, and then when they needed it to do the basic things, couldn't figure out how to run it. It was so complicated. Well, I mean, even with a hammer, as simple as that is, you don't need a 16-pound sledgehammer when a six-ounce will do to drive that little nail in the wall. So a hammer is not just a hammer. You're absolutely right. Coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor, about a half hour from now, it's the holiday season. That means you're going to be keeping an eye out for those packages. Ken has an app for you that will allow you to track any package around the world from one of 32 different worldwide shipping companies. How about that? Also, in Universal Living, uh, we're going to talk about some green building options, and we welcome one of our newest affiliates, WKCW, 1420 AM in Warrington, Virginia. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. Phone lines are open if you'd like to join us. If you've got a question for Ken, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. Time for us to go back to the phones once again. And joining us now is Fleeta. Hi, Fleeta. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, I was, had found out about a portable heat pump that you use inside the home. Okay, yes. Uh do you know anything about these little units, or? I do, and uh, you're talking about essentially a room um, heat pump system, one that will produce both, when we mean that for those that don't understand it, both cooling and heat. Yes. All right, and these are portable, completely self-contained units. For most of us, we understand we, we've grown up around or perhaps have in our home or office uh, window air conditioning and heating units, and it's the same principle, but it becomes a portable version. Now, these still require some type of venting, though. I don't know if you've read far enough or you've researched that. So you've got to have I've an, tried to get information on it. Okay. I, so, I can't get no further. Well, because you, there is heat being displaced or discharged. That's how air conditioning works. And I'm going to talk about the air conditioning cycle. Well, I figured you'd have to for the air conditioning. Right. But I didn't think you would for the heat. So there are multiple manufacturers and they run from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars they are also sized in capacity to handle different room sizes so if you're going to move it from a small room let's say one that may be eight by eight a little hobby or sewing room into a larger area a living room that could be fifteen by eighteen fifteen by twenty and you purchase one you want to be sure that it will handle the largest room you're going to put it in also before you purchase it, whether you're in the store or you're researching it online, read about the venting requirements because those also vary from one unit to the other. Yes. And well, some, some I... will include a vent hose and uh, a device that you can stick through the window, and others will not. And that's part of what drives the price is you're, you're getting a stripped-down version or you're getting one with the accessories that you need to really make it function. Well, so far I haven't been able to find anybody that knows anything about them. I can tell you something that... that Many of the air conditioning companies will not handle this. Where you're going to find them will be in 
Hardware stores, even Target, sells these during the cooling season. Walmart will carry them. A lot of the big box retailers will carry them. Right now may not be the best time to get them in terms of the cooler months, but in the warm summer, humid months, you're going to find them at so many of those retailers, again, starting probably in around a $300 range and moving up from there. Okay. Uh, Well, I had called Lowe's, I had called Home Depot, and a couple of the heating companies, but Nobody yep. knew anything about them. Yeah, well, I've, I have some experience with them, and I've never found a mechanical contractor, a heating and cooling company that's going to deal with them. This is more of a retail item. It's self-contained, comes in a box. It's a homeowner-type uh, commodity. That's why the retailers and uh, hardware stores are the folks that are going to sell that. Not all of them will, because keep in mind, these are not fast-moving items. So you may find you have to go outside your immediate retail area to a different community to find them or order one online, but they are available there. Okay, but are they energy efficient? Different ratings. Again, it's, it's like anything else. If I'm going to buy one, I'm looking for one that carries an Energy Star rating because that is a, a government-tested product that says it has certain, it meets certain energy-efficient levels. It's going to cost me less to operate. Now, it may cost me a little more to buy that unit on the front side over one that is not Energy Star rated, but that's what I look for in those products. Okay. Okay, well, I'll just keep checking around then. Keep checking. Give us a call back. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for the call. Thank you, Felita. We do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975, or you can send us emails at kenthecontractor.com. And we've got another one here. This one comes to us from Rodney in Athens, Alabama. He said, I may have waited a little late this year to repair my asphalt drive, but I really need to do so before the depth of the winter. Said I have several potholes from about a foot to two and a half feet in diameter. I'd say definitely, Rodney, if they're that size, you'd need some repairs. He said, I've never done asphalt repair work before, but it looks pretty easy. Do I need to know any more than to fill the holes with coal patch that I can get at my local hardware store? Well, there is a little more to that, Rodney, not just for you and anybody else that's doing asphalt repairs. Doing it incorrectly means you're going to do it over again. And if you've listened to this show uh, frequently, you understand that I harp constantly on prep work. That's where most of our time is spent in preparing things. And asphalt repair is no different. And if you don't want it to come out, pay attention to what I'm, I'm going to tell you here. First, you need to be sure that you're cutting the asphalt out beyond where you see it broken. And that may mean three or four inches all the way around that pothole. At any rate, you want to cut that out totally. Then you want to be sure you've removed all of the asphalt. You also need to be sure that you have removed any mud that has silted in over time because if you put the asphalt back down over stone that's coated with mud, it's going to be quite soft and it's not going to bond. It's going to sag when you roll the car over. It's going to settle some more. It will crack and it's going to come out again. So preparing that base will be very important to you. You want to be sure that you have a good solid base. If you have to pull some silt material out, be sure you put stone back in and you properly compact that stone. And you can do this with a hand tamper. You can do it with a, uh, a board and a hammer just so that you're compressing it. You're, you're making it quite tight. And then you can use a regular cold patch asphalt for this, but be sure you follow the instructions. Typically, they're going to tell you not to put it in in layers of more than about two and a half to three inches. So if you've got a very deep hole and you've got stone down in the bottom, and let's say you've got a five-inch hole that you're trying to fill, You don't want to bring it back up in more than three inches. Now, most residential driveways are only going to be somewhere around one to two inches thick with the asphalt. So that's not typically a problem, but not knowing your situation, I wanted to alert you to that. 
And you want to be certain then that if you've only got an inch driveway coating, that you've got that stone well compacted. And if it were, were me doing this, I would be sure I put a little more asphalt in. I might actually take a little of the stone out so I'd be an inch and a half to two inches thick. And I would want to be sure that if I'm doing it in two layers, or even if one layer, that I bring that asphalt up maybe three-eighths to a half-inch higher than the surrounding asphalt level. If you read the bag on most of these, it says self-leveling, and that's where a lot of people stop, and that's a problem because it will still compress some. And it is self-leveling to a degree, especially if it's fairly warm. But you want to put that in, have it three-eighths to a half-inch higher than the surrounding asphalt. Then you want to take a tamper. If you can rent one, if you can borrow one, if you even if it's a hand-operated tamper that you buy with a handle and a flat plate, you want to tamp that down so that it's flush with the existing or surrounding asphalt. Once you've done that, you've made it pretty watertight at that point. It should be sealed to the surrounding asphalt. And by the way, when you're cutting that out, if you have an opportunity to bevel that a little bit in sort of a reverse bevel, letting the top of it stick over and the bottom be slanted back, you're putting the new asphalt under it. You're even creating a, a tighter connection at that point rather than just a vertical connection all the way around it so it'll have a tendency to last longer and perform better and if you want it to look neat you don't want to do this with a tool you can take a a saw with a carborundum blade and saw that asphalt out and have good clean straight lines you can also uh, change the angle on the saw so that you're getting this slight slope that i'm talking about so that the top of the asphalt is narrower than the bottom which will help bond to or hold that patch in by all means you need to be doing this whatever you do be sure that you're wearing the proper safety gear and equipment, goggles and earplugs and so forth. It's not hard to do. You just need to do it right so you don't have to do it again and you're not wasting your money. If you have a question for Ken, you can email him a question, just like Rodney did to our website, kenthecontractor.com, or you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. Again, that contact number is 800-614-2975. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come right back with more of your questions and comments for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Again, our number, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. We're here dealing with the issues that are important to today's homeowner. You can always join us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. We're going to talk a little bit of green building right now. In a rather extensive article that USA Today did recently, Ken, uh, that looked at the pros and cons of green building. Very interesting discussion. And one of the things we see nationwide, and, and there should be no surprise to anybody, that green, if you will, from an environmentalist standpoint, has become a for-profit operation. And most building businesses happen to be for-profit. I don't mind telling you that. I'm a builder as well. And anybody that's in business says you can't stay there unless you can turn a profit to cover your operating costs and honor your warranties. But this particular article caught uh, Jim's attention and mine, and it regards uh, several hotels, and this one in particular is a Palazzo Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, which is a 50-story green building. Now, folks, that's huge. At the time it was built, it was deemed to be the largest LEED certified building in the U.S. in terms of square footage and vertical height and so forth. But one of the things the article went on to talk about is that because they built a LEED certified building, they passed all the tests, they received a $27 million tax break over 10 years in the state of Nevada. 
And so you've got builders and developers who are saying, if I'm willing to put X millions of dollars of additional money in here to make this more energy efficient, to give us a safer and healthier interior environment, to use reclaimed and recycled materials, that I'm going to receive some tax credit. Now, over time, I expect we'll see these tax credits either diminish or completely go away. This is an encouragement to the general building population, to developers especially, to think about building green. And for all of the things that we see from the U.S. Building Council, which is a building industry, it is a nonprofit uh, industry that is credited with uh, affording not only this particular hotel but others buildings around the nation so that they can be a LEED certified building. When we look at their regulations or guidelines, and this is what the, the article happened to reference, saying that we're not sure that they are making it difficult enough. And I'm going to paraphrase this in the interest of time. And across the United States, the Green Building Council has helped thousands of developers win tax breaks, grants, uh, charge higher rents, and just have a building that may be uh, more readily uh, available for certain types of businesses because they are a green building. However, the USA Today analysis has found that the rewards, often, uh, often the rewards they say are minor, the low-cost steps have little or no proven environmental benefit. And what I want to say to this as I go on through the article is that they, I think they have been fair because they're presenting both sides. So we can't stop with that, with them just saying that they're finding a lot of these low-cost steps have no environmental issue. It's true that many of the things that come into LEED-certified buildings or building energy-efficient homes do not cost any more money, but it is a door that you open to help get you to a point that you will build a greener building, have a better interior habitat, if you will. Now, LEED, for those of you who don't know, is Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And this, as I said, is a nonprofit uh, group that awards. They set standards, and they award certain certifications if all of these items or certain number of items happen to be met. USA Today review of 7,100 LEED-certified commercial buildings shows that designers targeted the easiest and cheapest green points by trying to create pleasant and helpful office spaces. Well, folks, frankly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They're trying to use the things that are easy, which means more buildings will meet this. But then we go on to look at some of this that environmentalists and experts widely praise both lead for sparking an environmental movement and making our interiors healthier. And I think that's the key thing for me as a builder is that while we may not agree with the cost of making these lead buildings available, we find that we are healthier, we are using products that can be recycled and can be reused over and over again. And can you really put a price on that? That's the big issue. Yeah, I'm not sure all of us can. Yep. Let's go to the phones at Shelby right now. Hi, Shelby, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Well, hello, and thanks for taking my call. So um, uh, my question is about um, a porch, a wooden porch that I painted. Uh, It's about 20 years old, and it was built with treated wood. And it got old and dark and ugly, and I just thought, well, it needed painting. So I washed it. I used a wire brush and lead dry, of course, and then I put my primer on. And I do believe that was latex. Um, then I painted it with oil base, and it was a beautiful porch for about two years. Now it's peeling. You did a lot of work. You did a lot of prep work, and then you... You sound like you did everything right, just like you were supposed to. Do you, did the deck have a sealer on it previously? Did you end up with any type of a clear sealer over the years of wood preservative? No, no. Okay. It was just, uh, just 
just left untreated. Because typically that's where I would see these problems, a sealer that wasn't thoroughly removed, even though it may have been hand-brushed and cleaned, and it will have some reaction to uh, the primer. The, the only other thing I can tell you is that there had to be something between the primer and the wood that was not thoroughly removed. But if you were down on your hands and knees with a wire brush, I have to believe you did a pretty decent job of that. I did. Uh-huh. Of getting it prepped. And if there was, do you know, uh, did you use a standard, an interior or an exterior paint on this? Because there is a difference in them. Um, I'm not absolutely sure because um, I have, you know, I do inside and outside, so I probably picked up a bucket and just, I, I don't really know if well, it was the, outside or inside. Okay, well, that could be part of the problem is not all paints that are made for interior can be used outside. They break down under UV light and they don't bond because of the cold temperature or the climate difference that we have between summer and winter quite as well. But yet an interior, an exterior paint will frequently work inside, but an interior paint will uh-huh. not work or perform long-term outside. And that's normally where we see paint breaking down, especially okay. in the latexes. Would it make a difference that I put oil on top of latex? It would make a difference if you'd gone the other way around, if you had put uh, a latex on top of that. But I will tell you on the deck proper, uh, in my experience, there was pro- and, and there may be some painters that would disagree with me, but in my experience, there's probably not a reason to prime that exterior deck because you can use a penetrating oil stain or a penetrating oil paint that actually goes right into the wood, and really? then, you, okay. then you don't have this other layer between it. The fact that you put a latex as a primer down there, now you have prevented that harder surface, that enamel or oil-based paint, from penetrating and really bonding to the wood. What it's doing is, is bonding to the latex. And where you find it flaking, chances are pretty good that you, if you look at it, you'll see the sheen on top from your oil base, and then you see the flat on the bottom, and it's just releasing from the wood. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So I just need to uh, scrape it all off and scrub it again and put my oil paint on. I hate to tell you that, but I think you're absolutely right. And you might find it, if you're handy with this or if you're not, you might hire somebody to try a pressure washer. That might save you from being on your hands and knees. Also consider, if you get it good and clean again, a penetrating stain if you want to see a little bit of the wood grain and some of those are quite solid in their color, so you may not see much, and some will let a lot of the wood come through. But any of these that will penetrate the wood will grab hold of that, and they'll bond long-term, and it'll reduce your maintenance going forward. Okay. Well, you've helped me a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Bye. Thanks, Shelby. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken, Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. We also encourage you to utilize our website, which is KenTheContractor.com. And you'll see some of the things that we talk about most often on this show, including what Shelby was just talking about, painting, both interior and exterior painting questions, roofing, windows, insulation, decking, energy efficiency, accessible living, masonry leaks, all on the web right there in Ken's Toolbox, popular topics right on the front page of the website, KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. If you have a question for us, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phones right now, and it's Ivan who's with us. Ivan, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, I have a driveway. It's a cement driveway. It's in, it's in 
good uh, condition. It's not that old, but it's spalled real bad, and it looks unsightly. And I didn't know if there was anything I could do to make that look better other than replacing the whole thing. Do you have any suggestions? Absolutely, I do. First off, you do not need to tear it out and replace it. This is cosmetic, what you're describing. It is not structural. And as you move through colder seasons, you'll find if you don't do something, it'll continue to get worse, and eventually it'll look like an unground terrazzo concrete slab. It'll right. be extremely rough. And I assume right now you have it sort of, in, if it's fairly new, uh, it's in uh, patchy locations, maybe right where the wheels tend to make contact or where the wheels sit from the car. Well, yeah, it, it's there, and plus it's, it's spread out a little bit. I, uh, I think I know what's caused the whole thing, but that's beside the point now. I'm just trying to figure out what to do with it. All right, I'm going to give you one, uh, at least one brand. There are several out there, but I happen to like this product, and I work with it, so I don't have had good experience with it over the years. And it's a product by Quickcrete. It's also readily available throughout most of our listening area. Uh, and you may have to go to a wholesale house to get it. You may not find it in the big box store, but mean you don't have to special order it and bring it in. But Quickcrete produces more than 200 concrete repair and additive type products that's their specialty but one of the items they produce is a user-friendly do-it-yourself a recoating if you will for concrete surfaces to do just that to take care of surfaces that are spalding uh, that you've, you've lost the appearance of it but you have no structural issue and it sounds right. like that's what you're describing that's correct and this will come uh, said in, in a bucket you apply it with a squeegee um, or you can do it with a trial, but it's very user-friendly, and you can be back on it with the car. I think it's within 24 to 48 hours. Now, you do have to pay attention to temperature. It's not the kind of thing you want to do in the depth of the winter, and you also have to pay special attention to the prep work. But if you go look up Quickcrete and you look at surface repair, you will find that, or you can go back on my website to some of the podcasts, and you'll find tabs that deal with concrete patching. You'll find some other brands there as well that will talk about that. But that's what I recommend. Clearly, you do not need to spend the money to tear that slab out and replace it. You'll spend thousands of dollars for that. Now, what these surface coatings do, and you can get very expensive with some, too. You can go into an epoxy coating. You can add decorative patterns and colors to it, make it look like anything from uh, a natural stone to brick pavers. And I'm not suggesting that you do that. I'm just telling you you have those type of options. If the prep work is done right, these products today hold up very well. In the early years of the products, I would not have given you a quarter for them. They did not right. perform well, but they do a very good job today. Uh, my next question is, you do that over the whole driveway, even the areas that's not small. Is that correct? At the very least, this is what I would do. You should have some type of a control joint, either a saw cut joint or a tool right. joint in your driveway. Right. If you're going to go for a natural concrete look, then I would try and find the color that best matches the way that concrete has cured out because sometimes it's a little darker, sometimes it's lighter, depending on the manufacturer, whether it's got fly ash or other type items in that. I would at least go from joint to joint and see how happy I am with that in terms of the color, but give it time to set up and cure properly before you make that decision. You say that's a quick crate. I can go to their site and find it on there. Right. You can indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you for the call. Good luck to you. We appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. In our In the News segment this week, you've got something kind of unique, but uh, I'm not sure many of us can afford it right now. You know, sometimes In the News just needs to be fun and trivial. It doesn't have to be quite so serious. And this week we're going to talk to one that uh, will really grab your wallet, but it's sort of a novelty item if you've got an extra 10 grand. 
And uh, who doesn't? It, everybody, I'm sure, just has an extra ten grand for one of these items out here. But this is an electric table. It starts out as a coffee table, and uh, it's manufactured by Rebus, R-E-B-U-S. And the functional piece of furniture can be converted from a coffee table to a larger dining table and vice versa, all with the push of a button. And I, this just amazes me that somebody has a need for this, but maybe many of you do out there. I want you to email me and let me know who's buying this. Anyways, it raises from a coffee table height to 14 inches to about 3 feet. Then it extends in length from 3 feet to over 7 feet. The table can accommodate up to 15 people. So maybe this is great if you have a one-room apartment. You know, you got the bed, the old Murphy bed that tilts up on the wall, and occasionally you want to have 15 people over, but for the most part, you want to have a coffee table. And you want to push a button. Now, what I haven't found out is whether it has a remote, because if it does, men, I know you're <laughs> going to spend ten grand to buy this because we love our remotes. Yes. But I, I haven't found that out yet. The only guy I can see buying that is Bruce Wayne. All right, let's try to sneak in a quick uh, email before the hour wraps up, and it comes to us from Cynthia in Topeka, Kansas. And Ken, she's got Michigan with some drinking water. She does, and occasionally many of us have this, sometimes on a well, but more often if we're on public water. And she's lived in her house for about four years. She has city water, and recently she's noticed that the water is cloudy, almost muddy on occasion. She's asking, do I have a pipe problem? Do I need a plumber? And this is not something that I see every day. Again, it has just started. Well, Cynthia, what I'm going to suggest to you first is check with your municipal water supplier, with your town, your county, your city, whoever's providing that, and check on two things. One, have they been flushing the lines recently? They may have a fire hydrant or an open valve on a line downstream from you, and they've been pulling an excessive amount of water through there. What this does in municipalities, it, it they clean these out periodically, but it stirs up any sediment that's in the line. Now, it doesn't mean that it's unsafe because you still have chlorinated water, but it just means that it will tend to cloud that occasionally. And if they say no, then ask if there's been any, any new taps by contractors building new buildings upstream from you because sometimes that tap can also create that. Again, not unsafe, but it's just that you've got some interference, some added activity within that water line. And if you don't have either of those situations taking place, then you may want to consider bringing a plumber out and have them check. And be sure you're not bringing some sand or grit or mud in from the line between your water meter and where it feeds inside the house. But I checked those first two items first because uh, probably nine out of ten times that's going to be the issue, and it will go away as soon as they get through flushing the line and everything stabilizes again. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He reminds you a house is what you build, a home is what you make it. Each week at this time, Ken is here answering the questions that are important to today's homeowner. If you've got a question for Ken, you can reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or forward your email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. And that'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach us at our contact number, 800-614-2975, or again through the website, KenTheContractor.com. I do want to remind you, a whole lot of very important but also helpful information is right there at our website, KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Do you have questions about your home, inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.